The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, from the pulpit on the Restoration Radio Network. This weekly show will be a presentation of the most informative sermons, conferences, and lectures from Catholic clergy on critical topics for Roman Catholics to find their way and to hold their faith during this horrendous crisis, the reality and the growth of the modernist heresy which surrounds and threatens to engulf faithful Catholics. We encourage our listeners to visit truerestoration.org with articles, books, and videos available for purchase and direct download. And while a portion of the operating costs of the radio network are underwritten by True Restoration, our shows truly are listener-supported. We have annual radio subscriptions for the subscriber of every level, available by clicking the Donate button at truerestoration.org. Restoration radio programs, including this one, are available on blogtalkradio.com slash restorationradio and are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration on all social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Flickr, LinkedIn, and Pinterest by following us using the social buttons on truerestoration.org. Tonight, we welcome to From the Pulpit Father Charles McGuire, Assistant Pastor of St. Hugh of Lincoln Catholic Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Father will speak tonight on the topics of sin and confession, particularly that of venial sin, which sadly today is seen as irrelevant by far too many Catholics. Father will explain why even the smallest venial sin is abominable in God's sight giving examples through the lives of the saints and why we as Catholics are called to strive for perfection, not mediocrity. The second sermon will be Fundamental Catholic Doctrine on the Sacrament of Confession, how we should be using it frequently and without hesitation. Yesterday at the, the seventh hour, the fever left him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. The boy in today's gospel who is is sick with a fever and his father, hearing that our Lord was just coming into the town, asked our Lord to come down to heal his son before the fever took his life. Now, the fever can be thought of, of as a type or symbol of venial sin. What fever does to the body, the venial sin does in the soul. And just as the fever in itself is not a deadly thing, neither is venial sin. But if it is not treated, it gradually will become a deadly thing. The same can be said of of venial sin. We know from our basic catechism lessons that venial sin does not kill the soul, as I just said, but only makes it sick. And it's for this very reason that so many Catholics, even perhaps the majority, of Catholics have this attitude towards venial sin that it's not so bad. And implicitly, they say, well, such and such an action is only a venial sin. I'm not going to go to hell. 
or I'm satisfied with simply avoiding mortal sin and keeping myself from the fires of hell. But this attitude is dead wrong. It is not worthy of any follower of Christ. We do not act this way with regard to sickness, for when we do our best to avoid any type of sickness, and if we have the misfortune to contract a sickness, well, then we do our best to cure that illness. But with regard to venial sin, the sickness of the soul, we neither take the pains to avoid it nor to cure ourselves of this sickness. <clears throat> this attitude is wrong also because God did not tell us to love him somewhat or to love him sort of or any of that. God did not set any limits to the degree of our love of him. He said very plainly, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and thy whole soul and thy whole mind. Now, while deliberate venial sin does not destroy this love of God, it does plainly cause it to diminish. It shows plainly that we do not love God with our whole heart and we are not following that most basic of all the commandments of God to love him with our whole heart. And this is something that all of the saints understood. St. Benedict Joseph Lavra, he was known as the pilgrim saint. He, he had the vocation of going from church to church, begging for alms and all of that. Well, he had a very great hatred for even the smallest venial sins and the smallest faults. There's a story in his life that says he was in charge of picking strawberries from his uncle's um, strawberry patch and a little girl of the house she was seven years old she came in and asked saint benedict for just one or two strawberries and saint benedict said i cannot do this but if you get my uncle's permission well then sure i'll give you a couple strawberries but you must ask him first the little girl went back into the house and found the uncle and asked him if she could have a few and he said no and so the little girl went back out to the saint who was still in the garden and said, well, your uncle said no, but he won't know if you give me just one or two. He won't miss a thing. And St. Benedict said, as any saint would, well, God will see it. God will know it. And the girl said, well, it's just a little thing, of no consequence, just two strawberries. And St. Benedict said, a little thing, anything which offends God cannot be a trifle. We begin by little things and by degrees pass on to greater. You might steal, he continues, a few pins one day, then the next a little pair of scissors, and then on to greater things. Be sorry, little girl, for such an insinuation and confess it as soon as possible. This statement is not in any way excessive. We all love to hear stories such as that one and we agree wholeheartedly how St. Benedict, in this case, was absolutely correct in telling the young girl. But how does it happen that when a priest corrects us of some small fault, or when another fellow Catholic or a parent corrects us of a very small fault, we always seem to say, just like that little girl did, it's only a small thing, it's of no consequence. We end up just like that little girl, and we don't even notice it. We make our souls sick with venial sin. And there is great danger in this attitude. Why is there danger 
in venial sin, the commission of venial sin? Well, first of all, because it breaks the law of God, even if only in a very small way or if it only breaks a tiny law of God. Christ tells us, though, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not just part of them or not just the major ones, but if you love me, keep my commandments. Venial sin is an offense against an infinite being, God. And therefore, even the tiniest venial sin is far worse than even the greatest temporal evils. You see, the commission of even a single white lie is worse than the death of millions of babies who are aborted every day. One tiny white lie is much worse. For example, to to tell you how bad a thing venial sin is, a father has a grave duty to take care of the, the physical welfare of his children, to preserve their life, to protect them from all sorts of harm, and even to take care of the soul of his children. But it would never be permitted by Almighty God to tell even the tiniest of white lies, which is considered one of the smallest sins that there is, It would not be permitted him to tell that lie even to save the life of all of his children. Let's go even farther. It would not be permitted that father to tell that lie even if he knew if he didn't tell it, his children would lose their souls for all eternity. It would never be permitted to tell that tiny white lie. So such a terrible thing is even the smallest of venial sins. And you might be thinking just what that little girl was saying. Father, you're excessive in what you say at the pulpit. But it is true that what I'm saying here is true. It is in no way excessive. This is what all theologians will teach and what the saints have all said. Nothing can justify committing a sin. Well, secondly, venial sin takes away or rather diminishes the beauty of our soul. There was once a saint who prayed that God might show him how his soul looked at that very moment in the sight of God. The vision was granted him, and he saw that his soul had just a couple venial sins on it, and it was such a terrible sight, the saint said, that he thought he would die of fear. And so he begged Almighty God to remove this vision, and it was removed once more. Such a terrible thing as venial sin. Well, thirdly, venial sin weakens our faith and it weakens our hatred of sin as well. And little by little, we become attached to our sins, small sins at first and then on to greater. It also, fourthly, checks the receptions of God's graces. You see, when we neglect to accept the graces of God and we go on to commit sin, then God will be more and more reluctant to give us graces in the future. And the less graces we have, the more difficult it is to save our souls. Fifthly, deliberate venial sin produces lukewarmness. You see, it should be the mindset of every Catholic, without exception, little child, young adult, or old person. We should all be have this great desire to progress in the spiritual life, to every day strive to become saints. 
But when we commit deliberate venial sins, little by little we lose this desire to become saints. And then it leads us to lose our soul. And this leads us to the sixth point of venial sin, that venial sin leads to mortal sin. It's true. There's a saying that a thousand idiots don't equal a single genius. Well, a thousand venial sins do not equal one mortal sin. And that's true too. But venial sin does dispose us to commit mortal sin. In Ecclesiasticus it says, He that contemneth or despises small things shall fall little by little. The father in today's gospel sees that his son has a fever and he begs our Lord to come and heal him because he knows if this fever is not treated, it will gradually get worse and worse and the child will die. So we must go to our Lord and ask him to cure the fever of venial sin in our soul, lest it get worse and worse, little by little, and cause us to go on to kill our souls by mortal sin. To give some examples of how little things dispose to greater, that is, venial sin dispose us to mortal sins, we can look at sacred scripture and find two very good examples. In the life of King David, we know that it was a simple glance, immodest glance, towards a lady that led him to commit adultery. It was, in the history of Judas, just a little bit of an attachment to money. And at first it was just perhaps an imperfection, and gradually you see in the story of the Gospel how at one point he was in charge of the, the purse of the apostles. He paid all the debts and the bills and everything, paid for the food and everything like that for our Lord and the apostles. And he, little by little, got more and more attached. And then what do you see? When our Lord is at the table and St. Mary Magdalene comes in and breaks open this expensive bottle of ointment and just dumps it out on our Lord's feet, Judas notices it. And the only thing he thinks about is the cost of that ointment. And he says, this is a waste, in other words. He says, that money could have been given to the poor. And he says implicitly, but you have wasted it by pouring it out on our Lord's feet. And so you see how his love of money got worse. And then it grew and grew until finally, for 30 pieces of silver, he sold his God to be crucified. Little things lead to great. And venial sin is such an offense against God that he felt that God feels himself obliged to punish it in most terrible ways, either in this life or the next. For instance, you know the story of Zachary in the New Testament. He, the angel Gabriel comes to him as he is in the temple offering sacrifice. And Gabriel tells him, though he's old and his wife is beyond years to have a child, he tells Zachary, your wife will soon have a child. And Zachary doubts for just a moment, and he's struck dumb for months, until at the birth of St. John, he calls him by name and is allowed to speak again. Or Moses, who does a small thing through incredulity, he taps that rock twice to make water flow from it, and he's not permitted to enter the promised land. 
Well, those who die in the state of venial sin, what is their punishment? Well, St. Gregory says, when they go to purgatory, they suffer by fire. And the, it is the same fire that exists in hell and punishes the damned, exists in purgatory and punishes the souls that are there. The only difference is this, that the souls in purgatory can eventually be released from those flames. And St. Thomas says that the least pain in purgatory surpasses all the sufferings of this life, whatsoever they might be. Such is the, the, how bad venial sin is, that God punishes it in such a way. Now, all of this is very common sense to you. You've read all that I've just said in your catechism. And I know perhaps many of you are getting bored with it and all of that. And you're saying, Father, please tell me something I don't know. But it helps to hear these things over and over. And if you forget everything else from this sermon, remember this, that we are here for one single purpose. It is not for our pleasure. It is not for our comfort. It is not to make money. It is not just simply to have a naturally a good time and a good family and all of that. We are here to know, love, and serve God every moment of our life. And every time that we can waste even a single moment with a venial sin, we fail to do what we are put here to do. We, by every venial sin, we lose one degree of glory that otherwise we might have had for all eternity in heaven. Think of that. What happiness could have been yours had you not committed so many deliberate venial sins. We should strive every day to avoid not just mortal sins, strive every single day to overcome those daily deliberate venial sins, realizing that if you do that, you'll attain the degree of glory that our Lord has wished for you. Let us approach our Lord today, especially in Holy Communion, and ask Him, just as the ruler in today's Gospel, ask Him to cure the sickness of our soul, the sickness of venial sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We hope you are enjoying tonight's episode of From the Pulpit. Be sure to visit truerestorationmedia.com to view our available streaming videos for purchase and direct download. These purchases will help us continue to bring you the best content and show guests in the Catholic world today. And now we present the continuation of tonight's program. And he said, Young man, I say to thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There is a beautiful legend about a, a certain priest, I believe he was also a monk, who was known for his great uh, patience 
and compassion, his great mercy too, in the administration of the sacrament of penance. And because of this, penitents flocked from all over in order to receive from him absolution and perhaps too some little spiritual fervorino, spiritual advice. But eventually, after some time, this holy priest died. Of course, he was buried. And it says that out of love and devotion, all of those that flocked to his confessional in life now flocked to his tomb in death. And it is said, too, in this legend, that every night this holy priest of God would rise from his tomb and walk slowly into the church and take his seat in the confessional and continue his great work of absolving sinners of their sins. A legend, you say. Think what you want about this story that I just told you. There is really one which is true that is just like it. Our Lord, when he was on earth, he spent at least the last three years walking about showing his mercy and his patience and his compassion towards those who needed it. He healed the sick. He raised the dead from their grave, and he forgave sins. Well, of course, our Lord, after many people flocked to him for mercy in life, he too died, and he too was buried, and he too rose from the dead. And daily he walks slowly back into the little confessional, but you will not see him going in his physical person. No, you see him through the eyes of faith, walking to the confessional in the person of the priest. And through the priest, he daily absolves your sins and my sins and everyone who goes and makes a good confession. Truly, this is no legend. This is true, and this is of our faith. It is very true that through the priest in the confessional, our Lord raises not bodies from the dead, but he raises souls from the dead. Just as in today's gospel, he raised the widow's son from his tomb. In the confessional, a greater work is done than was done in the creation of the world. In the confessional, by the forgiveness of sins, a greater work is done than was done in today's gospel when our Lord raised the man's body to life. Just a moment ago, think of it, when a soul was in, perhaps was in mortal sin, now he walks out no longer dead to God, no longer dead to grace, but now risen from his tomb, from his spiritual tomb, and now he truly lives. All of our sins, no matter how great, no matter how numerous, no matter how humiliating they be, they're not just snow-covered like Martin Luther would have us believe, but they're completely washed away. What was there before we set foot in the confessional is now gone when we set foot out of the confessional. Where once mortal sin was, now sanctifying grace is. When at one time, just moment, moments ago, the gates of heaven were shut and we became rather heirs to the kingdom of Satan, now 
the gates of heaven are opened, and we are once more made heirs to the kingdom of God. For those who are in sanctifying grace before they go to confession, they only have some past sin to confess or venial sins to tell, well, their place in heaven is raised for all eternity. They are guaranteed, they are given a higher place for all eternity. Special graces called sacramental graces, which are given to help us overcome sin, they are given to us as well. And the angels too, the angels in heaven, rejoice. For it says in one of the Gospels, the angels rejoice more at the conversion of one sinner than at the perseverance of ninety-nine just who need not penance. And all of that and much more takes place right back there in that little confessional that we're all a little bit nervous to enter into. All of that truly happens. A couple of weeks ago, the priest read in the Mass a gospel of the ten lepers. Now, leprosy has always been a symbol of sin. Now, when these lepers approached our Lord, they did so with confidence that they would be healed, for on a previous occasion he had healed one leper. But this time, when they approach him for a healing, our Lord doesn't say what he did previously, volo mundare, I will it be thou made clean. No, this time, what does he say? He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they did just that, they were healed of their leprosy. Now, when we commit sin, our soul, rather than our body, contracts a sort of spiritual leprosy. And the soul which once was so beautiful has now become hideous in God's sight and now is rotting away slowly but surely, just as the body of a leper rots away slowly but surely too. And then often after we commit sin, we are we hear this quiet but rebuking voice say, is it our guardian angel perhaps? And it says, go show yourself to the priest. Oh, maybe not in those exact words, but in any case, what does it mean? It means show yourself to the priest. Show, reveal your sins, the state of your soul, no matter how terrible it might be. No matter how embarrassing, show yourself to the priest as you truly are at that moment. Now, just as there's a good angel always at one side whispering into your ear, go and show yourself to the priest and make a good confession, well, there's always that other angel, not a good one by any means, rather a fallen angel, who's always prowling about, seeking some soul to snatch away from God. And many souls are devoured in this time just before and during confession. There's a story of that St. Antoninus once told, it's a true story, where he walked into the church and a penitent was preparing himself for confession. He noticed hovering about him a devil. He asked the devil, what are you doing here? Well, the devil said, I'm making restitution. And St. Antoninus was a bit surprised at that and, and basically gave his little whatever, restitution indeed. And the devil said, yes, I am giving my restitution. When I caused this man to sin, I took away his shame. 
and he sinned. But when it's a mean matter of going to confession now, I return all of his shame so that now he will be too afraid to confess it. And this happens every single time that someone goes to confession. You have that little demon to overcome that tells you, hold one sin back. It's a bit too embarrassing. We have all this shame. I'm perhaps afraid of what the priest might think of me. And all the rest. That little demon does all of that. And he devours a soul. St. Augustine once said to our Lord in a little prayer, he said, In failing to confess, O Lord, I would only hide you from myself, not myself from you. How true that is. We always think or many times we're tempted to think as we approach the confessional with some humiliating sin or some grievous sin, well, I'm not going to confess it. Somehow I'll go in and I'll confess all my other sins. Oh, the priest won't know that I'm hiding a sin. He'll give me absolution anyway. And indeed he will. But that absolution will be invalid. And none of your sins will be washed away. But now you'll have, instead of your previous sins washed away, now you'll have one more mortal sin to confess the next time. The sin of sacrilege, a bad confession. No, we don't hide ourselves from God. He sees right down into the depths of our soul, the most secret and hidden sins. We only hide ourselves, or rather God, from ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, God lives in the soul by means of sanctifying grace. When we lose him by mortal sin, where is he? We lose God and we hide him from ourselves. And the longer we put off going to confession and the more we hide sins, the more we hide God from our souls. Or then let's turn to a quote of St. Jerome. He says of Sinners, He says, out of a hundred thousand sinners who continue voluntarily in sin until death, scarcely one of them will be saved. You see here another temptation of the devil. He always tells us, well, let's put off our confessions as long as we can. God will give me another day. God will even, I'm sure, give me the grace at the last moment to make my good confession. And I'll set all things right. But remember what St. Jerome says, out of those hundred thousand sins who do that, who remain purposely in mortal sin, scarcely one will be saved. You're not guaranteed a place in heaven until the moment your soul leaves the body with sanctifying grace. We must then use all these graces, these inspirations to go to confession, act on them immediately if you wish to have the other graces later on. Now, a word to those of you who are perhaps a little bit more serious about your spiritual life. You too have a little devil, a fallen angel, who tries to wrestle you away from the confessional. You often have all of these temptations to say, well, my sins can't be forgiven, or my sins are too bad, they're too much, or I'm perhaps not rightly disposed or something like that. Well, we might again hear that little voice. And is it your good angel who says, O ye of little faith? It's funny that although we learn in catechism, God is perfect. 
and that his, in, in every perfection he is infinite, we somehow think that our sins are more infinite than his infinite mercy and that his mercy cannot forgive certain sins. But, O oh, ye of little faith, God is so infinite in mercy that there is no sin too great or too humiliating or too terrible that he cannot forgive it. I quote another author, Blosius is his name. He says, A sinner cannot outrage the deity more than by despairing of divine mercy on account of the number and enormity of his crimes. For God's clemency is far greater than the iniquity and guilt of an entire world. And he continues, Of God's mercy, never despair. And I leave you finally with this thought. There is no greater proof of God's mercy, no greater proof of God's willingness to forgive even the worst sinner than the fact that he instituted and commanded the sacrament of penance. There is no greater proof of his willingness to forgive. And let us then make good use of the sacrament of penance. Never listen to that bad angel who's always telling you to put it off. Listen to the good angel who says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And then that which took place in today's gospel, when our Lord rose the body from the dead, will take place for you too, in a spiritual way. And your soul will be raised again from its spiritual tomb. And then remember those last words that the priest usually tells you before you leave the confessional. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Those aren't just words to be passed over. Not by any means are they to be passed over or regarded lightly. They are true, and the priest means them. Ego te absolvo. I absolve you of your sins. Go now in peace. They are forgiven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed, but more importantly, found informative and beneficial this week's presentation of From the Pulpit. For more information on the ministry of Father McGuire, you may write to him at the following. Reverend Father Charles McGuire, that's M-C-G-U-I-R-E, 4900 Rialto Road, that's R-I-A-L-T-O, Westchester, Ohio, 45069. We will be on air one week from this evening at the same time and will present another installment of From the Pulpit. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you find this show to be of value to you and to your Catholic faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or via email at mail at truerestoration.org. Until next time, keep the faith. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.